For Arizona Public Media, I'm Peter Michaels, filling in for host Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, we'll ride along with a local man who's connecting our southern Arizona farmers and growers with some of Tucson's best chefs and grocery stores. You may know about the group Up With People, but did you also know that the group was founded right here in Pima County? Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Arizona Public Media's Mitch Riley has a unique talent. He's always able to find stories about creative and unsung Tucsonans, bringing people and ideas together to help our community. In this story, Mitch introduces us to Eric Stanford. We call Eric the middleman because he spends his days connecting local farmers and growers with some of Tucson's best chefs, bringing fresh, delicious, and high-quality produce to your tables and saving valuable time and money for the farmers in return. Mitch recently got a chance to ride along with Eric on one of his daily runs. I grew up in dairy land. We grew soybeans and cows. I'm not a farmer. I was a historically really poor farmer when I was lived on my grandparents' farm. But yeah, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, there's a USDA study that shows that since 1985, farmers in Arizona have spent more money farming than they've taken in. So more expense than income since 1985. That's crazy. There's no business model that works in that system at all. But we still want locally grown produce. My name is Eric Stanford. I own and operate Pivot Produce. Uh, weighing out five pounds of carrots for the Cup Cafe. And they're super sweet and delicious. Pivot Produce is a distribution network operating under the Food Hub model. I'm purchasing produce and fruits from small farmers in southern Arizona, and I'm distributing their produce to some of the best restaurants in downtown Tucson. Collards. Collards. We got shrooms. He's bridged the gap from farm to table, for sure. My name is Anthony Colusi. I'm the executive chef for Hotel Congress in the Cup Cafe. Yeah, like a month ago, you brought me orange and white carrots. Dude, those were so bomb. Yeah, these are, these are crazy sweet. Honestly, it's a lot of fun because he sends me a message. He says, hey, what do you want? I said, bring everything. Bring it all, and I'll take it. Uh, those are fava. I roasted them like edamame at home. They were so good. Surprising for Arizona, he's getting lettuces, carrots, radishes, uh, spring peas, squashes, pumpkins, gourds collard greens, mushrooms, uh, the, the list is ever growing. Get your signature. Local produce is extremely important. Uh, food that is Onions. easily sourced, is transparent, and I, I understand exactly what goes into it so I can get the most out of it. <laughs> carrots taste more like carrots. Peaches taste more like peaches. The strawberries taste more like strawberries. The, the flavors are really big. And it's, it's very unexpected, and I think it's, a, uh, it's just a great side effect of, of getting local food. It's, it's hard for a farmer to drive to me, it's hard for me to drive to a farm, so he's doing the work for me, 
And every, every Wednesday I get, you know, a little inventory slip from him. This is what I have. And I said, great, let's bring it on. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Tone. I will see you next week. Here. Appreciate it. Middleman, liaison, broker, they're all kind of terms that have been thrown around to define what I'm doing. I think middleman suits pretty well. The fava beans? Yeah, they're from uh, Dreamflower Gardens. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for purchasing them. <laughs> See you later. I've been a chef in Tucson and all over the country for the last 15 years, and I saw a pretty blatant disconnect between the food that I was eating at home, stuff I brought in from the farmer's market, fresh seasonal produce, and the produce that I was working with in most of the restaurants, most of the kitchens that I was working in. The, the flavor, what that is, when you have something in the ground that's nutrient rich, the soil has been cultivated to the point where it's putting as much nutrients as it can into that tomato. It tastes like a tomato and it smells like a tomato and it feels like a tomato, but it's the best damn tomato you've ever had. It's because a farmer grew it and had compassion while they were growing it and thought about the best way to propagate that vegetable and they not only in that season, but the three seasons before we're planning how that soil is alive and how they've kept it alive. Sure, yeah. Uh, we're headed to the southwest side of Tucson to the Breckenfelds family farm. They've been farming this plot of land for something like 32 years. It's a really interesting farm setup. Going out to the farms, physically being there, and going through and tasting crops out of the field and getting the like subtle, subtle differences. Oh, yeah, let's see what, see what you got going on. I mean, that's the, the best part of my week. Well, we got strawberries. He's a fellow Wisconsin person. So <laughs> we we kind of hit it off right off. Uh, this yeah. is all the flour that's going to, that's what you're eating. That's what they want. Right. My name is Don Breckenfeld. Uh, actually, I'm a retired soil scientist with the USDA. After I retired, I just got crazy with the gardening and took my own advice now, growing my own vegetables. <laughs> this is the ancestral floodplain of the Santa Cruz, so these soils here are, are very rich, and they've been in production, they, dates back to 6,000 years ago. Right now, we got a, a garlic crop that's about ready to come out. We grow 14 different varieties of garlic. It's very delicious, mm -hmm. great for our salsa. Mm. I'm loving it. Mm. That's great. But it has a real peppery taste to it. Well, we grow five different types of kale, uh, three different types of spinach, beets. We're also getting ready to put in tomatoes. We grow 22 different varieties of tomatoes, and then the peppers will be going in here shortly. I love all of it. <laughs> it's just part of me. Uh, I just love growing things and I like growing food for people and we know it's gonna to go to a good use. Garlic scapes. Oh yeah, these look great. Let's weigh it all. Cause they might wanna use some. Ah, yeah, right? It's so sweet, <laughs> good. buttery. Uh, when you break it down to the raw core of what we're trying to do, I'm trying to make sure that they're spending more time growing vegetables rather than worrying about where they're gonna go, how they're gonna sell them, who they're gonna market to, do they have to find a new restaurant or market or whatever. Let me take care of that, basically. Put it in another roll of the grapes here. What a lot of farmers have said about me is that I'm bilingual, in that I speak chef. I know that culture, I know the back of the kitchen, I know the mindset that that is of a chef. And then I've come to learn 
what it takes to be a small grower and learned the language of that. Hit it with a little bit of apple cider vinegar. Mm -hmm. That steams it. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because that's sweetened up, too, when it cooks down. You can talk to Eric, and he understands what you're talking about, you know, the different flavors. You think of garlic as just garlic, and I can tell him, this one's nice and hot. This one has a floral taste, you know, and uh, you can see the wheels turn in his head, how he can cook with this. <laughs> oh, look at the grapevines are popping off already, too. All right. I'll be back for grape leaves. I'm going to get a little philosophical here, but this is almost like my church. I feel so much togetherness with nature and everything around me, but working out here. I almost feel like uh, the plants can talk to you after a while and you just start reading what they're saying and you just take care of them. I think what you're tasting is their hard work and their compassion and in a industrialized food growing system, you're not tasting that. So I'm not saying that local produce is going to take over the market. We're all gonna be eating what's grown in Tucson because uh, we live in a desert. Uh, I don't think we could produce enough for one million people to sustain here. But I think it's an important thing to work towards. How else can we help? How can we make it more viable to be a farmer in Southern Arizona? That's what's important, is making it more viable. That story was produced by Mitch Riley for Arizona Illustrated. You can see the video segment at azpm.org. Up with people. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And it may also be Tucson's largest cultural export, which many young people have never heard about. The musical group was founded back in 1968 by CEO Blanton Belk as an alternative to the hippie culture of the 60s and had the support of many U.S. corporations. The current CEO is Dale Penny. Their mission is to inspire young people to make the world a better place through inspirational music and community service. Some 50 years later, Up With People is still traveling, performing concerts, and doing community service and outreach wherever the troupe goes. We caught up with the group this past spring while they were here in Tucson to learn more about what they're up to now. Here's Steve Jess. Did you know a group that formed in Tucson went on to perform at two presidential inaugurations, for two popes, at six World Expos, and four Super Bowl halftimes? They were mentioned on The Simpsons and South Park and had backing of some of the largest multinational corporations in the world. And if you're under 35, you've probably never heard of them. Today, we may be the most polarized politically, racially, ethnically that we have been in 50 years. And uh, I believe now is the moment for Upward People. Welcome to Up With People Day at the Pima Community College downtown campus. It's hard to estimate the size of the crowd because people keep getting out of their seats and running on stage. Before long, more people are on stage than in the audience. 
That seems to have no impact on the group's enthusiasm, though. So what is up with people? Even after 50 years, that question can be hard to answer. Well, it started here in the great city of Tucson in the turbulent 60s. This is Blanton Belk. He founded Up With People and claims the group prevented World War III. It is an expression of the positive voice of youth from around the world. Belk was part of a movement called Moral Rearmament, which hosted sing-outs in the mid-60s under the message of love, honesty, purity, and unselfishness. No rules, but bring your guitars, we're going to have a hoot nanny. They feel a sing-out is the best way to express themselves. They became a square alternative to hippie youth culture. In 1968, Belk split from MRA and started Up With People. The group's first, and perhaps biggest fans, were politicians. Ninety-five congressmen and senators came to the first show in the Hilton Hotel with 5,000. Standing ovation was led by Senator Goldwater, your senator from Arizona, and Fulbright, a Democrat from Arkansas. And if, they, if we can bring people together, we want to stay on the road, and we decided we want to do it. We said we'll do it. That was the beginning. The rotating cast from diverse backgrounds would travel for a year at a time doing community service and concerts wherever they went. To date, they claim to have had 24,000 performances in 72 countries, and along the way have done over 3 million hours of community service. In December of 1985, a 127-member cast of Up With People visited five Chinese cities with a musical show and a determination to open doors. Up With People was the second Western group to play in China after George Michael and Wham. We live close together in worlds apart. The musical performances have been described as inoffensive as puppy dogs eating ice cream and apple pie but some questioned the group's underlying motives. A documentary called Smile Till It Hurts, the Up With People story, paints the group as naive and quasi-cultish. It is also a season for unofficial diplomacy and the warmth of friendship. The film criticized its ties to large multinational corporations, which might have gained from the group's diplomatic efforts. Did you like it? That's an understatement. Some Tucson residents and former cast members remember it differently. I joined up with people as a student in 1986. So July of 1986 was my first trip west of the Mississippi River. Mr. Belk and my dad were good friends. I grew up with the family and, um, and I thought, okay. And I wanted to be a fundraiser, which I am now. Brian Cantor and Julia Waterfall Cantor met while working with Up With People and have been together ever since. They say the experience was life-changing. To say it's special is putting it mildly. I would consider Up With People the single greatest leadership training program in the world. And then there's this thing, yeah, oh yeah, I, I met my husband, so it's life-changing. Yeah. Music has always been a reflection of the times. At the height of its popularity, Up With People had multiple casts with hundreds of members touring the world at the same time. Their enthusiastic performances inspired today's Super Bowl halftime shows. Before Up With People, marching bands were the standard. Ladies and gentlemen, Up With People! 
During the 1982 Super Bowl in Detroit, Up With People gave a halftime tribute to Motown. Performance was panned by critics, and Sports Illustrated rates it as one of the 10 worst halftime performances in history. The era of postmodernism, marked by cynicism and irony, clashed with Up With People's earnest offerings. Corporate funding declined. They played one last Super Bowl halftime show in New Orleans in 1986. In 1993, the group moved its offices from Tucson to a suburb of Denver, and in 2000, it suspended operations. In 2005, Up With People relaunched in a smaller, more manageable form. Cast members travel for 20 weeks or one semester at a time. The incredibly diverse cast will do two days of community service at local organizations and play two shows at the Fox Theater. While in town, members stay with host families who arrived with bizarre signs, clues, and identifiers to find their guests. To date, the organization claims that over 800,000 families across the world have hosted cast members. They say this builds meaningful relationships. It also saves money. So Up With People came to my uh, city in Tijuana, Mexico. It was the first time I saw an Up With People show. So since then, I fell in love with it. And after graduating high school, I remembered that group that came to my school, and I was like, I want to be part of that. One of our most popular is a conga line. We have even done it at the Olympics. The cast seems to be having a good time, and despite different levels of experience, are trying hard during their performances. You could even catch them going over their routines in their downtime. Not so many people have experiences of like performing or singing, dancing, but we are trying as much as I can, uh, we can. I'm in fourth year of university right now in Japan, and I'm taking a year off to come here. This new model for the group is much more reliant on tuition fees from cast members. Currently, it costs a little over $17,000 a semester, or $27,000 a year. That doesn't include the cost to travel home from Europe after the group performs its last show. Well, it, it does cost, and, it, and it's very similar to for a tuition to go to, to college. This is, most of our students are taking a, a, a gap year or a semester out from their studies. Hi everybody, my name's Tariq. I'm from the very small island of Bermuda. I'm 19 years old. Obviously I'm a product of the people. It's hard to gauge the effectiveness of these outreach exercises, but it is cool to meet someone from Bermuda or the 19 other countries cast members hail from. <laughs> Peace is not just an idea, it's people becoming friends. That sounds damn trite, but it's not. The true security in any country is the friendship of your neighbor. And as far as walls go, we have a basic belief that those that believe in freedom and democracy and liberty build bridges. Whether it's Tucson or the United States or our global community, uh, we have to find a way to work together. And I think that message is more relevant today than it has been since Up With People began. We share the sky, we share the sun. We share the world with everyone.
Looking back through time, it's easy to see up with people as naive, and maybe it was, but not any more or less than anyone else who tried to make the world a better place through song and dance. Our story was produced by Andrew Brown and narrated by Steve Jess. And a special thanks to the University of Arizona Special Collections for their help providing archival footage and audio for the story. Artist and writer Beth Surtit listens to ravens and has paddled with alligators in wild and scenic places, but she also knows that true adventure can also be found out in the garden, some with rattles, some without. I was experiencing an oh-look-a-tiny-baby-bunny moment when an impressively large gopher snake zoomed across the yard like a kid on a bike when the ice cream truck is in the neighborhood, head up, jaws wide open, and only one thing in mind. I know everybody's got to eat, but not in front of me. I have a hard time watching those nature TV specials where the antelope bunny mouse cute thing gets chomped. So, I literally ran interference, yelling, no you don't, while chasing a five foot long snake as big around as my fist, whose earless body transmitted my vibrations through skin, muscle, and bone. I don't want to send this beautifully patterned reptile, or any other, to its next incarnation as a belt or shoes. But since we all can't just get along, and these snakes can have a quarter-mile territory, I'd like it to move on. A challenge. My yard is a snake's Eden with freshwater stations, shade, baby birds, bunnies, ground squirrels, a variety of lizards to eat, and a human who doesn't want to kill snakes, just discourage them. The gopher snake, also called a bull snake, is non-venomous, but can mimic a rattlesnake even though it has no rattles. Now coiled and, for lack of a better word, sulking under a lilac bush, this snake has the ability to flatten its head, vibrate its tail, and hiss like a rattler. But other than bunny bloodlust, there was none of that action and no aggression. Eyeing the sharp end of a long-handled hoe, I considered my stance on live and let live. Yep, still not a murderer. The tiny bunny was nowhere in sight, so I did the only reasonable thing I could think of. I ran to get a very long stick and my camera. Mighty hunter that I am, I spoke softly and poked the big stick very gently at the tail to coax the serpent into leaving paradise. It complied, slowly, stretching out. It nosed upward slightly, tongue tasting the air as it slithered out to the driveway and camouflaged itself on a welcome mat of accumulated dead leaves. I nudged the tip of the tail again, and when it didn't move, I explained loudly that it should find a new zip code. Snake languidly moved another 10 feet under foliage so thick I couldn't see a trace. Did I mention I was born in the Chinese year of the snake? This past year, in one of my paying attention workshops, 
A woman told me her sister and husband had bought a house with acreage in the Chiricahuas from an old man who told them that there was a diamondback named Charlie on the property. He said that snake was at least 25 years old, had never hurt anybody. One day, the woman and her sister were standing by a stream there, and her sister said, Don't move, but look down in the grass between us. I could see the diamond pattern and that it was big. And then we kind of went crazy, she said to me. Her voice rose, and she talked in that way people do when they're really flustered. What about the grandchildren? What if they play down here? We have to do something. Her sister told her to go get her husband from the house and tell him to bring his gun. There was such sadness in that woman as she quieted down and said, I did. I went and got him. He shot that snake in the head. He killed it because we were hysterical. We weren't thinking. If only we'd thought about what we were doing, because when we settled down, I realized we'd killed Charlie. I felt so bad, and I still do, if we'd only thought. I saw the tiny bunny once, a couple of days after the deflected gopher snake attack. About a week later, while watering, I spotted two separate pieces of bunny fur with chunks of skin and meat attached. Not unusual, almost every critter here is food for another, but even knowing that, I stood in bleak sadness, letting the hose pour costly lifeblood onto the always thirsty desert floor. But then I saw movement, a youngster, little furred ears, their insides the color of peaches, a white puff of tail. I named it Survivor. A baby gopher snake, only as big around as my index finger, slipped gracefully past me this morning on its way to a plant-filled no-man's land between me and the neighbors. I hope it likes it there. You can find more of Beth Sirtis' drawings and critter stories at listentoraven.com. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. The show originates from the Arizona Public Media Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm Peter Michaels, filling in for Mark McLemore.